Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, everyone. How's it going out there today? I'm here on the line with Nat Wong, who is in Lausanne in Switzerland today. Welcome to the show, Nat. Thanks, Julian. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Nat, you are running a very, very exciting project with refugees. So tell us a little bit about how that comes to be and what you're working on. I know that your plan is to bring water and water solutions to refugees in Lebanon. I'm totally stoked about what you're creating. Just share a bit about it. Thank you. So I'm going to really start with a bit of my background. Um, so I grew up in Switzerland, near Geneva, in a small town called Nyon, and not Lyon, not the one in French, uh, with an N. And the reason I arrived there is because my parents, after the end of the Vietnam War, were part of those hundred thousands of uh, boat people who left the south of Vietnam um, after the end of the war. And they they took a boat with the hope of a better life. Unfortunately for me, they uh, were able to manage to arrive to Malaysia, where I was actually born in a refugee camp in Kuala Lumpur. Oh, wow. uh, thanks to the Red Cross, uh, who was taking care of that camp, they took a few families and dispatched them around the world. Uh, I have some families in the US, in Australia. But my parents and me, we arrived to uh, to Switzerland. And um, so I grew up here. At that time, Swiss people, you know, there was not so many refugees, so they were extremely welcoming. I'm not saying it's it's not the case anymore, but it, it has changed definitely. And I grew up like a pretty normal kid. I went to, uh, you know, public schools and everything up to university where I studied business uh, management and, and a lot of marketing. And after that, I had an opportunity to go to, to Japan. <laughs> It was uh, pretty random, but basically I had a, a Japanese girlfriend at that time and I just you know, didn't know what to do. So uh, just uh, followed the girl. But Japan was something really interesting. I was interested already for, for many years and it was really a, a fantastic experience too. I spent eight years there and during that time, uh, I started working in the web industry. So it was a bit by chance because I didn't really know. Uh, I mean, my studies were not related to that. I mean, Facebook was hardly uh, existing at that time. Um, But I went there and I got into the web marketing. And somehow after the earthquake happened, because I was actually in Japan uh, in 2011, I I got the idea to create a crowdfunding uh, platform to support Japanese nonprofits who had a hard time to raise the nation internationally because usually of their lack of, of English capacities. So I put that in place. And, you know, fortunately, I got nominated as a World Economic Forum, I mean, a global shaper, thanks to that uh, in 2011. So I'm already a part of the alumni network. I'm, I'm a bit of an old, uh, old school uh, shaper, but still here. And then, you know, I did that for four years around. And fortunately, at the end, less the international press was less interested in what's happening in Japan, Fukushima. So a lot uh, less traffic and uh, visits. So I decided to, to, to close down the, the platform. Decided to come back to Switzerland to start something new. And I basically became a web marketing consultant. Uh, and that's what I do. I help startups and, uh, you know, SMEs, nonprofits to get more online visibility. And today I'm back to my university in Lausanne to give a workshop to, to students uh, about how they can start online presence without, uh, you know, having necessarily a big budget but anyway uh so i did that and by chance we're gonna get to the refugees it was just uh, about to ask how how did all that inspire you to be, to kind of uh think about water and i know that you have a, a big passion about world water day and kind of bringing yeah. water to refugees so it was a bit by chance i was really at home and one night uh it was in december 2016 I was just watching some videos on YouTube and I came across a video that intrigued me, which was uh, saying that a man was, had invented the machine that could make water in the desert. You know, I'm always curious and uh, 
a bit naive sometimes, but I watched the video. And, you know, it, the old man seems really a uh, very nice person. Uh, he, he seemed very genuine and authentic about his thing. So uh, he was explaining that he was able to produce thousands of liters with the machine behind him to uh, in desert conditions. And he was even showing, you know, that he was drinking directly from the machine. And I was like, this is so good. Uh, I just cannot believe it. But how come nobody's been talking about it? And so, you know, the next day I was like, okay, I have to find out. So I called a company in Spain. I learned a bit Spanish and was able to ask a few questions like, is, uh, is that real? Can I, can I see the machine? I mean, uh, and they were like, yeah, sure, sure. But uh, you want to see it? You want to come? You have to come to, to Seville to see it. So oh, wow. I was like, oh, okay, uh, challenge accepted. So I booked a flight and two weeks later I was in Seville to meet the inventor, his son. And I was really like, so impressed to, to meet them and, and honored. Uh, and then they took me to the factory and showing me the machines that I, which I expected. I We're talking about the machines that are basically, I've seen those videos. I wasn't curious enough to call them in Seville and ask them about it. Uh, like I, yeah, I, told, yeah, yeah. I acknowledge so, uh, that that's what you did the next day. We're talking about the machines that actually capture like condensate yeah, water or morning. Yeah. I forgot to, so basically those machines are called atmospheric water generators and they are capable of basically condensing the humidity of the air and extract it using condensation technique to, to cool down the air and then, you know, collects the drops as they fall down. And since the machine gets a lot of air inside the machine, the biggest machine can produce up to 15,000 liters per day. That's, I think, wow. 2,600 gallons. Uh, a bit more uh, and but it's a lot and uh, I was like oh. wait that's uh, amazing you know and yeah I was able to see the machine they were showing that to me they, they told me that they were not in the prototype phase at all they already had commercialized this machine so unfortunately uh, usually it's you know it's like governments or big organization like defense sector who has more budget for this kind of machine but uh, I, I thought and I had seen on his website that he wanted to do something for humanitarian purposes so I yeah. told him when I come back to Switzerland, I'll, I'll try to find something to, to do with your machine. So we kind of shook hands. We agreed. He was really uh, happy to, that I had come all the way to see him. And after going back to Switzerland, I started looking into the water crisis because, you know, growing up in Switzerland, it's really hard to see there's a water crisis. I mean, my city, Nyon and, and Geneva, we are connected to the, the Geneva Lake and it's the biggest lake of Europe. So, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to see. Uh, it never really goes. So then just, it's surrounded by mountains, you know, so it's never going to really run of, of water anytime soon. Anyway, saying that, um, I started looking in the statistics and I really realized, oh my God, I mean, uh, you know, it's coming soon. In less than five, 10 years, we're going to start seeing uh, developed nations impacted as well by this, not only like, you know, countries that are in the South Hemisphere. Uh, if you've seen the news, you've seen that Cape Town already is in a dire situation with their water crisis. You look at the pictures of the dam from the satellite like four years ago. And right now, I'm telling you, if you do that, you're going to be really shocked. I mean, it, it's I mean, drought is a problem in many places, right? I mean, yeah. California uh, on the West Coast California, of the United States has a problem with it. Israel has a, a classic problem with it. A lot of countries in the Middle East. And, and then, I mean, Syria and all the other refugee countries, I think, have the, the climate change yeah. impact. So it, it's a very pressing topic, and and I think it's it's amazing. Like I've seen these machines, but I really want to point out again that you got so curious that the next day you're like, you know what, I'm going to call this guy. Um, so how <laughs> what next? So like your plan is now to help him build them in in certain so, areas. No, so uh, you know they continue to manufacture those machines for the different clients, but. What happened next after I found out about all this water crisis uh, situation? 
I, uh, I got an opportunity through uh, the Global Shaper Network to go to a Shape MENA event. So if you don't know, it's, it's a an event organized by Global Shapers from the Middle East region. And this last year was organized in Lebanon. So I asked them before coming, like, we're going to be able to visit a refugee camp. And they were like, sure, we're going to try to organize this. And uh, yeah, here I was in September, uh, right before Shape uh, Europe. <laughs> I went to Lebanon and visited for the first time in my life a refugee camp. So it was a small refugee camp. It was like uh, only 147 people. What was really shocking to me was that among the 147 people, there was 100 children. Mm. They were aged between 1 and 12 years old. And I was seeing one of, some of those uh, kids, you know, selling flowers in the, in the street, you know, uh, you know, begging for money. And I asked them about their water situation. And some people from the camp saying they were receiving some water from the municipality, but unfortunately it wasn't enough. And the water wasn't drinkable. Like they could use it for cleaning and washing their clothes or, you know, the toilets and this kind of thing. But to drink, it was not so good. So they were forced to buy bottles of uh, water. But it was actually much more expensive because uh, they, they, they had to go to the supermarket. And, and for even though for us it's not so expensive, they couldn't really get a job. You know, the people, they had a per working permit that was expiring. I mean, and sometimes they were not getting paid for the black jobs they were doing. And basically, they were really struggling every day with the water situation. So I decided that, you know, we could use this, I mean... Uh, you know, help this camp and do a, a small pilot project with a, a kind of small machine that can produce 400 liters per day. That's a, a bit more than 100 gallons a day. And we're going to put that there like a water fountain that will be powered by uh, solar panels so they can always have, uh, you know, water every day because there's some electricity cut sometime in, in Lebanon. And we want to to this situation not to occur. We will, uh, once we have the, we will uh, get the machine, we will... Uh, like train the responsibles, uh, people responsible of the camp to maintain it. And what's good about those machines and they really have low maintenance. They basically need to clean the air filters uh, like uh, once a month with, with the wow. air. And just change it like every two, like twice a year. And it's like only like a few, it's less than a hundred dollar a year. So that's really good for maintenance and it's made to be solid and last for more than 10 years, 20 years, they say. Outside, it's made with like uh, inox. So it's it's very solid. And it's basically I, like a mid to long term solution is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, for me, this is, you know, it's not the cheapest way to bring water to a camp. Let's face it. I mean, you know, we could install a water filter. But I think what people need to understand is those machines are quite expensive right now. Because there's not so many and they have to produce those machines one by what, one. Just, just out of curiosity, what's the, the entry point for on cost on that on that end? Like how much does one machine on the smaller end cost? Like so the one we're gonna raise money for costs uh, twenty five thousand euros. You know, it's maybe roughly thirty thousand dollars to produce. Twenty five thousand euros. And how many waters a liter of water does that produce a day? So that's four hundred uh, liters per day. Yeah. So the smallest machine uh, produce 50 liters a day and cost around 10,000 euros. But the biggest one that produce up to 15,000 cost around 300,000 euros. So, but even you know, even like liters per year, you'd, you'd still only pay about five euro a liter for the first year. I mean, that's a lot of money. You're right. It's not the cheapest way to bring water to a place. Well, but it's a, a sustainable way. And also, I mean, it, it really doesn't impact the environment other than you, you use the air to filter uh, humidity and condensation out of it. I mean, that's exactly. absolutely yeah. mind-blowing to me. I like when, when I listened to you and when I saw your project for the first time, I'm like, why? Why aren't we doing this everywhere? Why do we have to do it, right? No. 
But you know, that's why I was also skeptical when I saw the the video for the first time. I was like, why why nobody is doing this already? You know. And yeah, I just started talking about it. Uh, you know, through uh, some festivals, some kind of hackathons. I won a few prizes, so that motivated me to really start it to create the you know the association, the nonprofit uh, legally, do the website, talking with friends, uh, and now I'm recruiting an army of water inception ambassadors uh, who will help me for the launch of our crowdfunding campaign, which will be launched on the International Water Day, which is the 22nd of March. So it's coming soon. Coming super um, soon. Yeah, it's in, a, in about 10 days. Yeah. Uh, I already have a couple of uh, water inception ambassadors and you know, I'm always recruiting, but their mission is basically to convince their friend to, uh, to change their profile picture on the 22nd of March with the hashtag water for refugees. And um, yeah, so far I've, I've recruited a couple of global shapers, uh, but I hope uh, people that I don't know also. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to have this, this army of people who will try to put in the mind of the people that the water uh, is really important. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with you. That's also why I have you on the show. I think that let's be really clear for everyone listening or everyone listening to this, this show a little bit later down the timeline. So one call to action that people can do right now is support your thunderclap. I'll share the link in, in the comments and then be part of your crowdfunding campaign. Are those kind of the, the steps that people can help you the most to make this a reality? Yes. So the thunderclap for those people who don't know, it's, it's a platform that allows you to ask your supporters to pre-agree to publish on a given day, which is going to be the 22nd of March, a, a message that uh, I have written. You can see on the page, but it's it's basically it's something like bring let's bring water to refugee camp in Lebanon. Um, and, and people can accept to pledge to, to share it on the day so that what's going to happen is all the message of the 250 people, we are like 160 now, so there's only 90 people left, uh, but will be spread on the same time, at the same time, same day and then it's going to create a, a bit of a trend for the hashtag water for refugees and we hope that you know the the news going to catch up and our plan you know the the strategy we have in place is that we're going to try to reach celebrities and influencers using this hashtag and also the challenge will be to uh, if everybody contribute to be able to try to get them to also share a picture with the hashtag water for refugees got it well make make sure reaching out to everyone on twitter on march 22nd um you know, lots of lots of people are, are in love with their Twitter stream. So I, I, I guess these goals might sound really far-fetched to someone listening, but I think the reality is when we see a video like that, where a machine is possible or able to create water out of condensation and the air, basically, it needs people like Nut who are just like, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, you, you said it. I mean, life happens by chance, or if you don't believe in chance, by, by synchronicity or kind of by design in that sense. So... I think there there are very few coincidences. So I'm like I'm really all about how can we empower and encourage you to to walk this this walk really strongly. And and, and my question always is who are the allies that are already on the same mission? So have you have you have you checked in? Like are there other organizations that are trying to build these towers? Are there other people that are bringing water to refugee camps? So yes, there are of course already a lot of big organizations that bring uh, water to camps, also to villages. Uh, I, I discovered hundreds of them. There's a lot of them. The biggest ones are water.org from Matt Damon, you know, uh, and uh, Charity Water. They're really the really well established and uh, they do a lot of things. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for the impact they have done so far. I have actually tried to contact at least the one from Matt Damon because 
two years ago, I went to Davos. I know he was coming there. So <laughs> I tried to get to him. And I was able to get in that event, but I couldn't get to talk to him. He just passed. Well, let's, let's make that a goal for now then. I think we'll, we'll find a way to, to connect with Wada.org. No, I'm coming for you. I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully I'll get some support from him. I mean, he, he has his own nonprofit, you know. But, uh, but, you know, I wanted to collaborate because for me, you know, it's, we, need, we need funds. The technology is here. There's a lot of people who need it. And what I've seen so far is that a lot of nonprofits tend to, you know, build wells, uh, drilled, uh, you know, water holes, and it's great. But for me, it's like, okay, that, that's one way to do it. But why don't we use the technology that is available to bring water where there is no water? Because it's great if you have water on the ground. It's great if you have maybe a, a lake, a river, or even the sea next to you. There's all this technology to filter or to desalinate the water. And But what if there is none of that? You know, uh, you need to bring water by truck. You need to bring water with, you know, bottles. And it's definitely not efficient. Those machines, they are plug and play. I mean, we bring the machines, we you know, plug them to the solar panels. And there you go. You start producing the water you need uh, without building any infrastructure. You just open the tap and that's it. It's ready to drink. You know, wow. it's that's the <laughs> That's exciting. That's really exciting. Now let me ask you a couple of a couple of questions. I would love to know from your your perspective. Look, I'm I'm in Sao Paulo right now. I'm gonna go to a shape event for all the global shapers listening. Lucky you, uh, lucky you. <laughs> shape Latin America and, and yeah. the topic will be contrasts. So let me ask you, how did the contrast for you to like be born in Asia, be part of a refugee? kind of background and then living in Switzerland, which is certainly one of the more privileged and, and um, neutral countries in the world. Um, how did that contrast really shape you and your journey to realize, you know what, I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to call this guy tomorrow and see what this water machine does. Uh, you know, uh, okay. So about the contrast, uh, you know, I, I um, basically it's what's really something I always think about is, I mean, I, I never made any choice to be born in Switzerland. I mean, I could have been uh, I could have, my parents could have stayed in Vietnam. They could have stayed in a refugee camp. I mean, what, who knows what could have happened? I mean, and none of that could make any choice. Mm. First of all, I think it's important for everybody to realize that you don't decide where you're born. You could be born in a refugee camp, you know, directly and be straight into the a life of misery. And, but it took time for me to realize that. I think, uh, you know, when you grew up in Switzerland, uh, you don't see so much poverty around you. And uh, the first time I, we got, um, we, were, but we went back to Vietnam is right after my parents uh, and I could uh, get the Swiss passport. It took us some time from the refugee status to become Swiss citizen. Uh, more than 10 years actually and uh, we went back to Vietnam for the first time so it was a bit strange for me because you know there was all this part of my family who uh, I, I, I never met but you know they were brothers and sisters of my parents and uh, I was confronted to their life and I, I could see my cousins who uh, you know didn't have the chance they were they were not born yet at that time mm. they, they in Vietnam all their life and you know I look at their situation and um, everything is it's hard for them to visit us because they can never earn enough money to come to Switzerland and this kind of thing and I realized then uh, when I was 15 that you know I got really lucky when I was going out in the street of Ho Chi Minh at that time I could see children begging me for money and I was a child you know so it was really strange and so yeah I think that the first time I realized that I was really privileged and that uh, in the future I guess it it planted the mind that I would do, I would have to do something, for, you know, for 
being grateful, showing my gratefulness to this. And when I saw and I saw this video, I wasn't sure where I was going to. At first, I was just like, okay, this, uh, you know, I'm gonna call them and see what happens. I'm gonna practice my Spanish at the same time. And worst case scenario, uh, you know, I don't have to tell anyone about this, and uh, I won't be embarrassed. So that's why even when I went to uh, uh, Sevilla to see the machine, I, I messaged on Facebook like, okay, I'm gonna go, and I'm not sure what's gonna happen there, but you know, pray for me and stuff. And actually, yeah, it was. Uh, the right call and i am now looking back i'm like yeah I, i'm glad i made that call because yeah you're right a lot of people could have just watched that video say that sounds great and go to the next video but uh, yeah i didn't cool cool well I'm, I'm seeing you're wearing the pin of the um, sdgs i believe the sustainability goals so so how how does something like the global shapers or being in touch with this community of people that want to make an impact in the world how does that inspire you like i'd, I'd love to know like personal piece or two like how does that like in the morning when you wake up you know like you just you're like okay i'm on my mission or like how does it feel to you are you feeling like you're in purpose when you do this absolutely i uh, in every day every more because you know i the the, the 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 global shaper community i don't know how much you're listening are aware of but we're a community of more than 7,000 members around the world committed to, to do a positive impact on society. Everybody works in different like sector, but you know there's a lot of people who work on the same uh, issues around the world, and it's opportunity for everyone of to to work together toward uh, you know different causes. And uh, the one for refugees, the one for water. Actually, I wasn't sure you know how how much how many people would be supportive of this, but I posted a message on the group of the the curators of last year, and I got a lot of people who asked me if they could support, and people that even I haven't talked to uh, during days the annual curator meeting because there were like 300 people, but a lot of people were. were uh, happy to help and I started recruiting some some ambassadors uh, to kind of represent the hashtag water for refugees in their country and have them to get friends to to do you know to share pictures with that hashtag and yeah you know I am surprised every day that people I never heard about never talked to uh, start uh, supporting this project and it, that that fills me with a lot of energy to continue wonderful well, such a pleasure having you on the show. I'd love to know like a thing or two to more about you before we wrap up. So what if, I'm just going to ask you this question. What if tomorrow out of the, you said by chance, out of the serendipity of life, you had $13.7 billion on your bank account. Let's just assume, okay? Like totally go there, $13.7 billion. Okay. Total abundance and no whatsoever uh, hold up. What would you do with it? What would you create? What do you want to like share with this planet? <laughs> Okay, so maybe it's time for me uh, to share a bit of my bigger vision. For me, water is is one step. I think at the end, I think what we want to all us all of us to do is to be able to to spend time on what we love to do, our passion, and, and hopefully help other people. But what's uh, you know blocking us from doing is is especially in Switzerland. I have many friends of mine who straight after university went to work for you know banks, kind of big consulting companies. You know they they pay very well. But it's but what I call they get stuck into what I call the golden prison. You know it's 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 a place where you know. They, they, they get a good salary, but they're not so passionate about what they do. But, you know, what if, you know, they do something else? Maybe they will be paid less and, you know, and this kind of thing. So there's a lot of people in that situation. And for me, the golden cage. Uh, Switzerland, yeah. you know, has voted, if you heard in the news in some point, for the unconditional revenue. That didn't pass. I had Universal made, basic income. Yeah, I, I, I did follow that. It ended up, unfortunately, didn't pass. Correct, but uh, that wasn't enough. And that's what I mean is like, if we are able to be self-sustainable, you know, imagine you have your own house that 
doesn't have to be big, but good enough. I am a big fan of tiny houses. Maybe people who don't know that should Google it. Tiny houses, small houses, everything you need in a small, compact way that uh, is on wheels and you can uh, get, uh, you know, kind of put behind your truck and move around the world and, you know, always have your house with you. Amazing. But imagine you put solar panels and one of our water generators in the house. I mean, you could have electricity, water from only renewable energies, and you can start spending more time on things that you're actually passionate about because you don't need to pay your bills anymore, your house bills, your electricity bills, your water bills. You, you, you don't have to work that much. And there's a lot of, of things you can do that, you know, either online or offline that you know, you work 50% of the time, you know, you take a part-time job and you still have enough to spend the other 50% of your time on something that uh, you're really passionate about. And I'm doing this transition myself. I mean, from web marketing to squatter inception, but at the end, uh, I will, I will focus 100% on but yeah, uh, that's that's what I mean. Is the future is that we should have you know this kind of thing, and with all the money you're talking about, I would create like a huge uh, cities, villages, which will be all you know with technology to to help people achieve their self sustainability and be able to focus on projects. So I would invite all the shapers from the world for a retreat and you know ask them to brainstorm about what we can do, and they wouldn't have to worry about you know paying for the rent, the food, the electricity, whatever. And they will spend all their time to think of how we can make this world a better place. That's one of the ideas. Cool. <laughs> so basically a mix of universal basic income and like a, a think tank, how to create our um, a sustainable planet and purpose. I, I like it. Hey, man, one more question. What are like one, two or three things, like maybe three things that if you had an apprentice, right? If you had an apprentice in your field, what would you share with that person? What are things that you've learned that you're like, like, look, if I can share this with you, this is a shortcut to being more efficient, to being happier, to being more in flow. If you had an apprentice, what would you pass on? <laughs> uh, I'll teach him how to make a website. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. But like, you know, I had many ideas. I have a mind that, that you know, uh, thinks a lot out of the box. And I have a lot of ideas, but, but not all of them become a website. But when you start, you know, you're going to have to test your idea, you know. So you're going to have to talk about your close friends first, you know, and then other friends and then people you don't know. And then you're going to listen a bit to their feedback. And if you start to see that people say, oh, you know what, it's a good idea. Uh, and that's how I started. And, uh, and then they were like, yeah, you know, and. You learn how to build a website. You know, now you don't need to, to know HTML and this kind of thing. There's like website like Squarespace, uh, I mean, WordPress, if, if you uh, want a bit of challenge. But you can today learn how to do a website by yourself. There's no excuse for you not to be able to do it. It's, very, it's drag and drop right now, so you can do it. And then from there, you know, you start to talk around and uh, maybe... Um, do a business card to try to get into events and networks that are talking about, you know, the topic about water. So I did that. You join a lot of events, conference, a lot of networking is required. So learning about networking skills is important. You know, what to talk about, what to do with your network. I'm always saying you should always offer to help people when you can and not expect anything in return. If you do that constantly in your life, people will, uh, you know, they will support you once you have a good idea in the future. And today I'm seeing this happening. You know, I'm these people I haven't talked to for years who get back to me and say, oh, yeah, I saw your post on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, I want to support. So, you know, plant your seeds, uh, you know, be kind to the people and always try to, to help. So that's 
another advice I would give. Really cool. Amazing. That. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have another presentation come up at your university. So let's wrap up here. Thank you everyone for watching us live or listening to the show later on. Make sure to uh, support the campaign on March 22nd, World Water Day. Hashtag water for refugees. Please visit uh, waterinception.org to get more information about the, the campaign and the, the nonprofit. Thank you, Julian. Cool. Thank you so much. Wow, what an inspiring project that Nat is hosting to get water into areas in the world where people are really in need either because of drought, because of deserts, because of climate change. And he is really focusing on refugees as well. I think that is one of the more inspiring ways to use technology to really propel our society into a complete new level and new stage. So I'm very, very excited to have had this interview with Nat. I hope all of you loved it as well. Make sure to subscribe to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, either on iTunes or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Check us out on the website as well, greenplanet-blueplanet.com or be part of the conversation on Facebook, both in the community or the Facebook page, Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Wherever you are, have yourself an excellent day.